0: You know, as you go through the process, you really start understanding that you're running the show, you've got your money on the line, you make the decisions, it's based on your decisions through the process that decide whether you make a success of a project or a failure.
1: You are listening to the Property Developer Podcast, your home for tips, ideas and inspiration to help take your developing to the next level. Now here's your host, Justin Getty. Justin Getty.
2: Welcome back to the Property Developer Podcast. In this episode, I'm speaking with John Marquez, a Melbourne-based property developer. John and I did a developing course together a few years ago, and we've stayed in touch. In fact, John is doing a development in the same suburb as me, so we've been talking regularly about the many common issues and challenges we've been facing along the way. John has a really interesting background, as he has progressed from doing renovations, where he did most of the work himself, to now where he has two 10-unit developments underway. John talks about the one lesson he learned that forever changed his approach to developing, the importance of keeping that little voice inside your head in check, and why he is heading to a tribunal to resolve a planning dispute with council. I started off by asking John, if there was a Hollywood blockbuster film made about his life, who would he want to play the leading man?
0: Oh that's crazy. I wasn't expecting that. Um, Gary Allman, I think. Gary Allman. Let's, let's go with Gary. Mike Gary? I just love his acting.
1: The different roles he's played, uh, very convincing in uh, his roles. Yeah. So John, tell us a little bit about your developing background and things you've done. For me, um, for me, property. My
0: love of property started when I um, purchased my first uh, property in Flemington, which is the northwest suburbs of um, Melbourne. Um, It was double-fronted Victorian, old, derelict. Um, Purchased that. uh, Did quite a bit of the work myself. And at the end of it found, um, oh, there's a bit of money in this. I thought, you know, there could be something in this. So I did a few more after that. I did another couple in Ascot Vale, which again is a nearby neighbouring suburb. Um, Again, but a lot of hard work. And, um, I didn't think there was enough rewards for the hard work because my mentality then was the harder I work, the better the returns. That wasn't necessarily so. So from there, I moved on to, um, I partnered up with a, a friend who was a carpenter and we started buying blocks and doing dual locks. But again, the same lesson, a lot of hard work, not much results at the end. So there was something there again that uh, had to change. Um. After a few of those, you know, it took took its toll. We sort of decided to go our own way and then I thought there's got to be more of this. I mean, there's developers out there that aren't doing any of the hands-on stuff and, you know, they're running three, four, they're doing three, four jobs, which is impossible to do if you're hands-on physical work, doing all the physical work. And so I thought there's got to be a better way. So I started going to seminars and things like that. And I eventually come across a program, a rookie developer, that was run by a guy that um, was doing quite a bit of developing in the eastern outer suburbs of Melbourne. And uh, he seemed to be doing quite well. So um, joined that, and that was uh, the start of, I guess, success in developing. And what what was it then that was different from what you'd done before? The way I was doing it, I was basically buying a site and just thinking, if I can do most of the work, there's got to be good money at the end. Whereas the mentality that he taught us was, you have to you have to know your product, you have to know your market, you, you do your numbers first, and then you'll find out. So it's basically the reverse of what I was doing. You should be able to do your numbers, at the crunch numbers at the start that will reveal whether a project is viable or not. So it wasn't just a matter of, oh, there's a site for sale. Um, there's one house on it. I can remove that, put two on there, do it all myself and there's money. No, this is more a matter of um, doing all your research, doing all your numbers first and then finding if it's a viable project And if it is, then you can go ahead and um, do it. And I also found another important lesson, which was you don't have to do anything yourself, apart from basically running the show and project managing. Uh, You you know, surround yourself with a good team. They should be able to, and you take all this into consideration when you're doing your your feasibility, that um, you can employ all these people and still come out with a good profit because you've already allowed for that before you purchase the site by doing all your due diligence. So did my first site, four-unit site doing that. That was in Knoxfield, which is in the outer south eastern suburbs. Um, from that one, I just felt that it was hard to get into the market again. Uh, the market had picked up momentum, and I was priced out basically. So I thought, oh, there's got to be a better way. Well, there's, I've got to get back in the market somehow. I might have to change my strategy. So I I met a friend, another developer that I knew, who was in the same situation, and then uh, after some thought, we decided we need to change strategy. How about we get together and buy a larger site together? So that's what we did. Bought a larger site, a 10-unit site in Miralba, which we are currently developing, and we managed to get a second 10-unit site in uh, KillSife, which we're going through the planning process for that one. You've
1: kind of skipped over the fact that your first 10-unit site hasn't gone as smoothly as what you had hoped for. Can you tell us a bit about that? Okay, so we purchased it. Everything was going fine. We
0: we started pre-sales before we even had approval, which, you know, we thought um, you, you just find that the process is so long that you have to try and buy time, and you buy time by sometimes jumping, jumping a few steps, you know. And then anyway, we found that... Uh, objectives have come on the scene and um, then council had tried to sort of take their side and this started causing issues with uh, what we had proposed initially. And also because of the the zone changes at the time, council was a bit unsure of what we should be doing on this site. So initially they were pushing us for more. Our initial design I think was for about eight units on that site. Uh, council pushed us, we got to about 14 or we got to about 12 and then council said more. So then we went back with 14 and then we had another meeting of council and they just thought design was too much bill form and, you know, just too much, too bulky, too much going on. They would rather we reduced it. We thought, okay, this is a bit odd. They were telling us to push it at the start. Now, and this is about the time the objectives came on the scene. So... At this stage, council was a bit confused about where, where it was all going, what they were wanting. We kept quizzing them on what it is they were exactly wanting, and they wouldn't after. They, they started backing off and um, not wanting to, you know, reveal much more or guide us any further. So it ended up being at the stage where we thought uh, we, we had a meeting with our, our town planner and draftee, and we all felt at that stage that they were just taking it. They were just taking us on a on a ride, and it would be best to just cut the whole process short and just uh, lodge with VCAT. So that's where we're at the moment we, we revised what we had, and we felt that probably for that, based on the zoning and all that, that probably to get it smoothly running through VCAT, we'd probably reduce it to ten uh, to give um, because there's some other other overlays to consider, like landscape overlays and things like that. So we just felt. That 10 would give us the right balance. So we're still waiting on the VCAT uh, hearing, which is at the start of next year. So, yeah, anxiously looking forward to getting that over and done with. We're we're very confident with uh, the outcome. So,
1: you know, we might even start pre-sales before then. So what are are the lessons that you've learned so far in your dealings with council through the planning process in that it's going to end up at VCAT rather than getting stamped at council? I've just come
0: to the understanding that they don't really know what they're talking about. I, I just feel that, um, and, and you can call them, you can talk to different council, to different uh, planners in council, and they'll all give you, they all give different advice. So it's very confusing. My biggest lesson I learned in all this is I put too much emphasis on council's feedback. We could have cut this process much shorter, but you know, being the first large project, this is all. A learning process for us, but I learned that I should have paid more attention to my town planner and my drafty and that would have got us to VCAT at a much earlier time. Because you know we we're we we're hoping the council will come to the party. They promised us that, um, being one of the newer, larger sites in the area, that uh, they were going to we were going to be guinea pigs, and we were happy with that as long as. The council was willing to, you know, help us through the process, but it seemed like they were till the objectors come on board, and then council realised, oh, you know, we we should be taking the side of the objectors. These
1: are the people that put us in power. So that's when the whole thing went pear shaped. Yes, I can understand what you mean about them giving conflicting advice, because on my site they wanted me to consolidate the built form, whereas with your site they asked you to separate the built form to provide some articulation and yet they're both under the same zoning.
0: Everything's exactly the same between your site and mine or ours. That's a perfect example. You know, you could use yours, you could use your site, I could use your site as an example, you could use mine as an example, and you'd say, well, why are there so much differences between the two? So, yeah, you know, if I had the time, I'd go to council and, and show them. And, and we've used your, your site because you started your site before ours. You were ahead in the process. We used yours as an example, and um, they
1: didn't have much to say about it. Yeah, it it's, can be challenging dealing with councils. Yeah. That's for sure. So tell us, what, why do you love developing? You have to love what you're doing or what
0: you want to be doing. Um, I think that's very important. That's you know, that, and that'll be one of the reasons that'll bring longevity to this business if. If you have a passion for it, that'd be the first. Um, look, I think I, I just love the, the fact that you can, you can buy a site, uh, you know, a raw site, you know, an old house on it, whatever, and then you, you know, you, you create something on that site. Um, you know, you initially have, say, an old beaten down house on there. You come along, you, you, you have visions of what you can put on this site and at the end of the whole thing, you're accommodating people you, you know, you're putting a smile on someone's face, they're buying a, a product of yours and, yeah, I, I just think um, I just get a buzz out of all that. Um, and, and you know, the fact that this has also been my avenue to, to be able to work for myself and buy my time back and and leave work and not work for someone else. So, you know, it's a double bonus, the fact that now I'm working for myself um I'm not going to say that it's, you know, not. there's a lot of time spent. You know, I'm not, I didn't leave work to work part-time, but I just don't see it as work. So I can spend 12 hours a day working on, on, on a project and it won't feel like 12 hours. I can work for an employer for six hours and just at the end of the day feel, yeah, just not happy about the whole thing, come home, not feeling good about it. So, yeah, in a way it's a dream come true. You know, and um, you get out of it what you put into it. Whereas working for an employer, you know, you can work twice as hard. You're still going to get the same pay. So, you know, if you want to go out and do two, three projects, you can do two, three projects and, you know, really, really get a good reward at the end of it all.
1: When you think back over the last four or five years... What do you think the biggest lessons are that you've learnt about yourself and about developing? I think initially, before I got into it, or as I got into it, I just I thought
0: to myself, you know, this is this is a big, long, hard road. There's going to be a lot of challenges, not just physical challenges or challenges with with the project. It's going to be your own mental challenges, your own phobias, your own fears, and you, you get to challenge a lot of these, and although it's something initially you don't want to do, I think it's like anything else. When you end up, when you come out the other side, you're better for it, and you're glad that you did it. I think after your first project, and you know, you'll learn something from every project, but each project makes you stronger. Um, you learn a lot about dealing with people. You become a stronger person. So, who do you think the most important person on your team is? You know what? When I initially started. I thought everyone else was, but me, but, um, you know, as you go through the process, you really start understanding that you're running the show, you've got your money on the line, you make the decisions. It's based on your decisions through the process that decide whether you make, make a success of a project or a failure or the business as a whole. So initially, you know, all these people that you're meeting, that that you need to all your team members that you're building, as you're meeting them all, you are saying, oh, well, this guy really knows his stuff, the draft, you say, or the surveyor or, or the builder. But you really come to understand that they know what they know and they're caught up in their own little bubbles. But at the end, you're running the show and although they all seem to know what's best in their field, you also have to wear a hat from each one of their fields because at the end of the day, it's you don't go by what they say to you you go by the decisions you make based on what they've said to you. So you don't take what they say lightly, you know, but then again, you take it for a grain of salt. So whatever they say to you, you then mould the information and then you decide, being your project, what you feel you should do. And um, look, a perfect example is like a drafty. You go to a draftee and say, what can I get on this site? Well, he's going to draw you some big fancy, you know, he's going to draw you two big fancy 30 square foot, Homes on there, and then you get a you know let's say you went along with the whole thing and then you find out when it comes to you know you do the project you, you put them on the market and there's no interest or the interest is uh, two hundred thousand dollars less than what you you've got them on the market for bang there's a big lesson there. why is that what happened there Well, he told you what he thought was best in his mind, but he doesn't know the market as well as you do. He doesn't know the product that you should be building as well as you do. So basically, he's just built what he's felt in his mind is best for that site, which isn't necessarily what was best for that site. So that's a perfect example of, you know, you first meet a draft, you thought, you say, this guy knows everything about everything. I'm just going to let him do it all. Well, no. And that's an important lesson that you, and same goes with the builder. Uh, The builder might have his ideas. He might say to you, look, you know, oh, I think you should spend this much on a kitchen. I think you should you know go all out and put uh, stone benches, um, chandeliers, whatever it may be. And then again, you realize at the end of the project, what happened here? Oh, I was expecting this price, and all of a sudden it can wipe you out. one development. Why? Because you've listened to people which you initially thought was the right thing to do, but it actually isn't. You're running the show. And it's no more important to anyone else than you because you've got a lot of money riding on this that they have to do what you say and you're constantly pushing all these people to meet timelines, timeframes. So that's a big lesson, a very big lesson. Don't be intimidated and feel that all these professionals that become part of your team know what they're talking
1: about or necessarily know what the best is for your project. Yeah, look, I think that was a lesson I had to learn as well. Nobody cares about your project more than you do, and you really need to take charge and, and call the shots. And, and it's difficult at the start. It's a difficult
0: lesson to learn. You, you keep saying stuff no, because you realise when you meet with these people that they all, they're they all experts in their field. But they might be experts in their field, but they don't know exactly what you're wanting to do, and this is what you have to try and get across to them. You have to believe in yourself that what you're building is the right thing for the right, is the right product for the market and regardless of what they say to you, they might be able to give some constructive criticism or advice, but at the end of the day, you need to go back and say, I've done all my research, I've done my numbers, I really truly believe based on all the agents I've spoken to that this is the best product, there's a shortage of this product or there's a demand for this product and this product, based on the build costs and the end sales, gives the best result. And that's something that none of these people can do because they're all caught up in their own
1: little fields of work. Yeah, it's a bit like being a jockey on a racehorse, isn't it? You've got to control the horse all through the race, even though it might be trying to run faster than what you need it to. That's right. You kind of got to hold it up, and you got to pace it to yeah. to get to the finish line first. Yeah, absolutely. All these little things make you stronger, make you more confident.
0: And as I said, uh, after a few projects, you become seasoned and after a few more, you become very well seasoned and yeah, that's when you realise I am running the show and the fact is it's more important to me than anybody else and and from here on, that's how it's going to be and that's how
1: I'm going to keep seeing it. What have you got planned for the next say three to five years? Now, a lot of it is dependent on
0: what the market does. Having said that, regardless of what phase the market's in, there's always opportunities. And again, another lesson to be learned. A lot of people think, uh, you know, the majority of people that get into property, uh, get into it. You know, it seems good. You know, everyone's doing it. I'll make a quick bark. Oh yeah, easy. But you will notice it's only. You know, we're all captains in smooth seas. So it's only when the market turns that you you, you flush out that the People that were really committed and really knew their stuff, they'll stay in, they're, they're in there for the long term. And you got the hobby developer, which you uh, know gets in there, gets burnt, and says, Oh, that's not for me, and goes back to their normal job. You know, like I said, I made a promise to myself a long time ago that uh, I was never going to work for anybody else. So, regardless how hard the market gets, I'll be in there. There are phases in the market, but um. That there's also always opportunity somewhere in the market. There's an opportunity whether you have to change your strategy, uh, the way you're doing things, how you're doing it, uh, your approach, all that. Now, I won't be going back to smaller projects. If anything, um, I'll either take it to the next level where I start thinking more creatively uh, into, you know, maybe apartments. If I was to fast forward three to five years from now, I'd probably I'd want to be doing more projects and larger projects. Even though I'm doing two reasonably large projects, I still have the time. I can still take on a couple more I feel. I have the time. You know, there's times when you know, a lot of things are happening at the one time, there's other times when there's just not much happening. So and because I'm doing it with a joint venture partner, you know, it's a shared responsibility. So You could say it's as though we're doing one project each at the moment, which, you know, is probably not enough for me. I I could easily do more. And also, um, it's a long time between drinks. You know, a big project can take three
1: years before it comes to fruition. So that's three years before you see anything. Yeah, which is one of the big challenges in developing, isn't it? It's a long, well, it can be a long time between paydays the developer gets paid last. Another thing that people forget. Yeah, that's right. You need to have yeah, bigger projects bring
0: it, bring more money, but you know, longer it's a longer period between drinks. But um, you might have other strategies you want to do in between. You might do some um, quick turnovers. You might buy. You know, you might see a nice, decent block of land. You might say to yourself, you know. I might have quite a bit going on at the time, but I might be able to just quickly turn this over, just, you know, plans and permits, and then on-sell it to a builder. Uh, you know, there's builders out there that are willing to work for smaller margins than we are, because, you know, they've got staff that, they've got, um, that they have to keep employed. Uh, we're in a different uh, situation to them. We need builders to develop our own sites so our margins always have to be bigger. They can work on smaller margins. So, you know, there's always a secondary market where you can sell to them. Um, you might you might um, become an expert in buying just sites with plans and permits. So that reduces the timeline there. So all you're doing is you're buying a your site with plans and permits. So as soon as you buy the site, you're basically starting construction. So you might see you might see the money in a year's time, even on a larger project, because... As soon as you bought the site, you can just start the whole process, you know. Of course, they come at a premium, and they don't always work, depending where the market's at. But uh, having said that, you know, if you look long and hard, you'll find it. Look, there's always bargains out there. you just got to look long and hard. Anybody that says, oh, you know, I can't find anything, I mean, I've been there, and that was another challenge, you know. You sometimes have to catch yourself in what you're saying to yourself and how you're thinking, your thinking process, and that's where you really get to learn a lot about yourself. You might catch yourself saying, you know, I've looked at a 100 sites. There's nothing there. There's there's nothing. I don't think it's working. I don't think... You've got to catch yourself, and you've got to stop yourself from, from, from these small thoughts becoming monsters, you know. So you catch yourself, and you say, no, that's not true because... That goes against what my true belief was—that uh, there's money to be made in any market, in, in any phase of the cycle. And so, if you believe that, and you truly do, it's out there. It just tells you that you're not working hard enough to find that side. You're not putting enough in, or you know, you're not thinking outside of the square or out of the box, looking into maybe other strategies because your strategy might no longer work in the current market. So you have to think outside of the box, but always. There's always a solution. There's always
1: something out, a property out there that money can be made on. Yeah, I think it's going to be interesting over the next, say, year or two with people who have bought larger sites to do a development on with a view to prices continuing to rise and making money off that. And If the market slows, which it's beginning to do at the moment and plateaus out, I just wonder whether people are going to get caught short.
0: New people that come into the market don't understand the market cycles. People that have been around long enough understand that that is all part of a cycle. Every cycle, when it comes to the to the end, when it's coming close to the end of the cycle, these are the things you'll see, you know. Uh, negative market sentiment starts coming in, all the sheep start, you know, like a herd of sheep, they're all following each other, and things can turn quite quickly. Uh, but always understand that it's all part of a cycle. We're not seeing something new. You know, there might be times when things are different to what it was in the last cycle. Low interest rates, high, uh, uh, high unemployment, low interest rates. On another cycle, you might see the reverse. But at, at the end of the day, they're all cycles. And the sooner you learn to understand that they're cycles, they're nothing new, you adapt. It's important got to keep adapting and the people that make it through these challenges of where the property cycle's at or as it's moving on to the next phase, the sooner you learn to see it for what it is, it's nothing new, it's happened before, history will show you that, adapt, get over, get over that, get over that and find um,
1: your next strategy. So John, do you like to keep learning and trying new things? Yeah, look. I, I think it's important to, um,
0: you know, to keep the creative juices flowing and to keep you uh, excited um, about the whole thing. You, look, you'll never, uh, you'll never stop learning. Every project will reveal something new, which you can see coming. You learn something new from every experience. Um, in the meantime, I like to keep myself um, educated, either. It may be as simple as just talking to agents and uh, learning a bit about, learning a bit more about the area you're looking in, or some new area you plan on um, investing in. Um, I don't mind doing the odd, um, going to conferences, you know, property seminars, things like that. I mean, after a while, you probably find that it's repetitive, and that um, the person that's actually holding the seminars isn't probably the Yeah, he's got his own interests. So what I find most stimulating is talking to other developers. Now, of course, you know, to people listening that are new at all this, they're thinking, well, how do I sit down with another developer? Who's got the time for me? You know, no one wants to know me. Well, that comes in time, you know. Uh, When you first start, it's like everyone else that that you're meeting uh, through the initial journey. Uh, No one wants to know you, but as they see that you are committed, so it's not through your words, it's through your actions. They see this guy is actually committed. He actually wants to, you know, he wants to be a, a, a big developer one day or, you know, he wants to get places. And so they start paying attention to you. And through all this, you start bumping into other developers. You might go to seminars and you meet other people that are doing what you're doing or at the next level. Now, you know, you also meet people that are doing nothing and probably never going to do anything. Well, you know, you've got to gravitate away from those people. You sort of pull away from them and sort of gravitate more towards the people that um, are doing things that you want to be doing or, or people you can learn from. You know, it's the old saying, you, if you're the smartest person in the room, you're in the wrong room. So to keep learning and to be doing, it's the same old lesson that when you first started. If Whatever you want to do, Hang around people that are doing it.
1: Yeah, well, that's one of the reason that I set up this podcast because it can be hard to talk to people that are doing other developer, developments and I was going around talking to developers and kept thinking, I should be recording these conversations because mm. they're really valuable. Yeah. And yeah. That, this and is yeah. an opportunity, a way for people who are in developing to hear from others that are in developing, whether they're bigger, smaller, how they're doing it, and different things. Most of the developers
0: that I know, I've met uh, a lot through the courses I did. Um, kept in touch whether it's through the courses that I'm, the course that I'm currently doing or courses I've done in the past. If you hang around like-minded people, you know, then you, that leads to the, to meeting more, and that so and so knows so and so, and knows so and so, and then you know you, you you're out there. You're constantly um, you've you got the word out there that you you you're interested in meeting more people that are. Doing similar to what you're doing, and before you know it, you're surrounded by, you know, a lot of people that are doing what you're doing or better than what you're doing, and yeah, the wealth of information from those people compared to the number of books you need to read or, or seminars you need to go to, you know, you just can't compare it. You're talking first-hand information, first-hand experience, um, people that you can now uh, call and talk to when you run to difficulties if they've been where where you are. You know, it's the first port of
1: call. There's no book that, that can give you all this. This is this is gold, this, this stuff. Yeah. yeah, well, hopefully we can build up a bit of a tribe on the Property Developer Podcast and share solutions and ideas to problems that people might be facing while they're doing their developments. Oh, look, absolutely. I, I think when I first started, that was, that was
0: the hardest thing to find. Where can I access more information? I mean, a lot of the stuff online, yeah, it's... It's not that in depth. It's it's very general. A lot of the stuff um, that you see online, any any podcast that's interviewing people that um, uh, have done what you want to be doing, you know, all that information's gold. It, and you know, through the questioning, it's as if um, it's as if the people listening are there and asking the questions because a lot of these questions that. Uh, that you're asking are questions that I, I'm constantly asked by by newbies. If you don't know anybody that you can actually ask these questions to, it's the next best thing. I think listen to podcasts where you're you, you interviewing people that um, are doing what these listeners want
1: to be doing one day. Well, we'll be getting inside the heads of some of uh, Australia's best developers over the coming weeks, months, and years, so make sure you tune in. As a closing, all, all I can say is that... Um,
0: just persist. Just commit to what you're doing. If you really, if this is what you really want to do, um, I, I think it's a no-brainer to know that you will succeed. You just have to be committed. Once, if you're passionate and committed, um, you'll overcome any obstacle that, that that comes your way. And you know, those successful developers out there—they're the proof of the pudding. They've faced more challenges than you have ever faced, and they've seen through it all. Why is that? Because, you know, their commitment to being a successful developer has
1: been the number one priority. Yeah, I think it was Woody Allen that said that 90% of his success was just continuing to turn up. <laughs> John Marquez, thanks very much for being on the Property Developer Podcast. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me, Justin.
2: What a great chat that was with John. He certainly has come a long way over the past few years. I really like how John has gone all in with his developing, and has made a promise to himself to be a successful developer. I wanted to share three things that I took out of our conversation. First, be persistent. We all know that property developing never goes in a straight line. You have to expect challenges. You have to be ready to solve problems, and to find out the person you need to contact to ask the question to get the answer, so that you can make a decision and move on. You really have to be persistent in the developing game, there's always going to be roadblocks and challenges and you just need to be ready to push through. Second, be prepared for the property cycles to roll through. We know that real estate moves in cycles and we can plan for them. What are you going to do if there is a downturn? Can you sock away cash to ensure you can manage your cash flow if you have to hold on to stock for longer? What if property prices drop? You can be prepared for all these instances and not be in a state of shock and surprise when they happen. And third, probably the most important thing, have the right mindset. Keep that little voice inside your head in check. I certainly know that there is chatter going on inside my mind all the time and you have to keep challenging yourself to not be ruled by fear. I have to remind myself that I am the one that is in charge and I am the one making the decisions, not the scared person at the back of my brain. That's it for today. If you have enjoyed the show, I'd love you to head over to iTunes and give us a rating or visit propertydeveloperpodcast.com and leave a comment in the show notes. If you have an idea on someone I should speak to for the show or topics you would like covered, then please email me at justin at propertydeveloperpodcast.com. Thanks again for listening in, and until next time, may all your developments be successful.
1: You've been listening to the Property Developer Podcast. Tune in next time for more tips, ideas, and inspiration to take your developing to the next level. For more developing love, make sure to visit propertydeveloperpodcast.com.